great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino here with Ryan Talbot, the Shop Buffalo Bills football podcast in the house at the Fitzrovia Bell in London, England. And we got some of our friends in the house tonight. I think they want to get to hear them. Big game on Sunday. What do you got? Give it up for yourselves. That was amazing. Amazing. Um, so it's it's been a, like a wild whirlwind of a couple days for Ryan and myself. We flew over on Wednesday. Uh, coming off of that, I'm pretty sure all of you guys were pretty big fans of that Miami Dolphins game, right? Yeah, everybody was, everybody was feeling it. You're excited? So, so I thought one of the most interesting observations I had from that week was going into the game, Tyreek Hill had a very interesting take on coming into Buffalo and playing the Bills. And we talked about it on the podcast last week. I don't think this is the fan base that you want to rile up. No, not at all, Matt. And, and he learned that in a big time way. And, you know, what did we see that he was doing earlier this week? He was eating some crow and uh, admitting that he was wrong about the Bills fans, saying it was so loud. He couldn't hear uh, Tua at times. It was really throwing off their offense. Uh, he says he still doesn't like Bills fans. I think the feeling's mutual, but he respects how loud they were. Yeah, and I and I thought it was cool because it's been such a a great kind of I don't know what's the best way to put it, but I feel like Bills Mafia has been on the map for close to a decade now, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody knows the tables, everybody knows the escapades, the things that get thrown on the field. But what I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter. We've met people at our podcast in Buffalo that have come out from Iceland, Germany, across Brazil. Uh, some of my best friends in Bills Mafia today are this little group of Bills fans from Brazil that had this super cool story. One of the things that we love the most about what we get to do is that we get to do it for all of you guys. And I, I'll admit it. I'm a Bills Mafia stan. Oh, 100%. And listen, what a, what a turnout that they've had all week so far. Uh, we were able to get into London Wednesday morning. It was an early flight. And as soon as we got there, downstairs by the coffee shop, a line of Bills fans. Another line comes in after that. And then as soon as we started hitting the towns in London, uh, we went to the Piccadilly Circus. Bills fans were everywhere. Yeah, I screwed that up the other day, by the way, everybody. Did you, who, who pointed that out? Yep. What did I call it? Piccadilly Circle. You know what the problem was? I was confusing the tubes. There's a circle line and a Piccadilly line, and I saw that, and then we did the podcast, and I just put the two and two together. All right, let's get into this Bills team. We're going to do a couple things here tonight. First and foremost, we're going to get into this Bills-Jaguars game, talk a little bit about our thoughts, give you our prediction, which, by the way, there is a podcast out 
with that prediction, but we're going to give you a little bit more in-depth in the podcast here tonight. Then I want to bring up a couple Bills fans. I think we got our boy Derek in the house right here. He's already been a volunteer. But anything you want to talk about, yep, I'm going to call people up. Uh, we'll talk a little Bills Jags. We'll talk a little bit about Von Miller, and then we'll open the floor to everybody here. Anybody that wants to come up, we'll do a little Q&A. So I want to start with the Jags, okay? This is a team, a two-and-two, that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. And this was a team a couple years ago that I think – the Bills slept on a little bit, and they went down to Jacksonville, had a bit of a flat performance. Jacksonville's Josh Allen absolutely exploded in that game, and he's been really good this season. One problem for Jags' Josh Allen in 2023. I'm not sure there's three or four better left tackles in the NFL through four games than Deion Dawkins. Yeah, Dawkins has had a great bounce back performance, Matt. We were talking about this. Last year was a down year by his standards. There's no denying that. Uh, this year, he's come back. He's said all the right things, but more importantly, he's doing the right things on the field. And, and I don't think it was just Deion Dawkins. I think it's the fact that they went out and they addressed the guard position in free agency, specifically Connor McGovern next to him. McGovern can handle his responsibilities. That makes life easier for Deion Dawkins. Just like we're seeing a new and improved Spencer Brown as well, Matt, because, oh, by the way, Osiris Torrance is just in there mauling guys as a rookie. So you, you improve your guard position, and it's helping these tackles, specifically Deion Dawkins, like you said, who was playing at an elite level. But the big difference between this year and a couple of years ago is the Bills have done such a really good job through four games game planning against elite pass rushers, whether it be interior guys. I mean, you go back to the Washington game, four former first-round picks that were basically nullified in that game. And so now we look ahead to this game and listen, Josh Allen's a really good player, but I feel like they're going to game plan around him. They're probably going to give Deion Dawkins help at times. And Josh Allen has been so seamless in the way that he's operated this offense. Bill's Josh Allen over the first four, three, well, I should say three games, the first game, not so great, but I also think that was a bit of a wake up call. That was a, you know, not only a wake up call for Josh Allen, but Ken Dorsey as well. And what we've seen since then is a specific determination to get the run game going, to have a balanced offense. Not only James Cook either. I mean, Latavius Murray, I wish you guys could see the way that people talk about him in the building. It's absolutely changed the dynamic of that room. It's changed. But he wasn't the same guy he was in Denver or Pittsburgh. It was just a little bit different. Murray, it's like he's this ageless wonder. It doesn't matter. So what he's saying in the room, it holds up in between the white lines. Yeah, absolutely. He has been a great uh, you know, new addition for this Bills team. A lot of new additions in that room. Uh, you know, Damian Harris as well. But Latavius Murray has looked the part. He's very physical, but he's also showing that he can be a really solid pass catcher, man. He's had a few 20 plus yard receptions for this team. The balance is the big thing on the offense side of the ball. And when it comes to your the other Josh Allen that you were mentioning uh, earlier, I think it's going to be very similar to what the Bills did to Max Crosby a few weeks ago against the Raiders. Now, mind you, he was on the other side of the line going against Spencer Brown, but Brown had help throughout the game. You give Deion Dawkins a little bit extra help with Josh Allen, and then you can neutralize the rest of the line with the guys that you have. So this is not a commander's team where you have four first-round picks. Uh, you do have a few first-rounders on that line, though, and there, there's – some young and talented players there, but I think that the Bills have a similar game plan in mind for this matchup. What do you think is a bigger concern in this game? The Bills 
facing a defense with a playmaker like a Josh Allen or the fact that they're like, I'm sure a lot of people in this room are going through us included just the jet lag, like coming overseas. You know, Josh Allen said today he was pounding coffee this morning to try to get himself through the afternoon work through or walk through. I think a lot of that was just a little bit of, you know, tongue in cheek fun with the media. Stefan Dix called him sleepyhead, said he just needs his rest, but I appreciate that. I mean, they're spending a lot of time in the sports science department trying to make sure that everybody gets up to speed as fast as possible before Sunday's game. Yeah, the sports science angle is going to be something to really keep an eye on because they felt felt confident in their game plan uh, to fly out last night, to spend most of the night in the air, come in early in the morning. I think it said they arrived here at 8 a.m. today. Uh, so they have not been here long, but they feel like they'll be adjusted by Sunday. Uh, rather than coming in for the whole week after last week's Dolphins game, they had this game plan in place. And what's so interesting about this is the other team in this game, Jacksonville. They have been here now for about you know, close to a week and a half. They had a game here last week against Atlanta. Now they have a game here against Buffalo. There's something to be said, though, about being away from your actual home for so long. So, yes, they're used to the time difference here. They're used to being here and on London time. But are they also going to be going through the motions to say, I want to get back home. I want to sleep in my own bed. Uh, I, I want to just kind of see my family. There's a lot of layers to this that I find very fascinating. So if you listen to the Shaw podcast, you know that we are sponsored by Wingnuts, who I think are in now the pantheon of Buffalo chicken wings. And that's just not me saying that. Listen, they, they pay us money to, to, for the partnership. I'm not going to lie, but they're delicious. If you've been to Wingnuts and you've experienced it, they're really good. We had some Fitz wings early tonight, earlier tonight. Who's had wings so far since they've been here? A lot of hands up, a lot of hands up. I got to say, Ryan, they were, I was a little nervous. They were delicious. They were, they absolutely knocked it out of the park. You got to be able to do Buffalo medium the right way. And they delivered in a big way. What'd you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed the wings here. I enjoyed the Buffalo Bills burger. I had that because this was our first meal of the day. We've been on the go since the morning for this uh, the Bills practice and, and the press conferences. So it was nice to come in here and get some great, great food. Yeah, so Ryan's been kind of mad at me this week. Um, I've I have woken up him up early. I've had him on the run. So we're, we're in London. We're kind of figuring things out. We're doing the tube and everything like that. And we get on the road today and we're stopping at Starbucks and we walk into the, to the thing and it, they don't have like an American food menu at Starbucks in the UK. So we saw some kind of like, sausage baguette that looked a little bit funny so i was like i don't know if i want to roll the dice on this we'll get a coffee and we'll eat when we get to like closer to the marble arch which is where the media boss was leaving from we get over there and they moved up the sean mcdermott's media availability so we literally had to leave so we didn't get a chance to eat we get down there they didn't have any food at that so by the time we got back here and we had the burger and the wings. You were struggling, buddy. We, I, yeah, I think we were both struggling a little bit. We were both kind of feeling it at that point in the day, but definitely good to get a, a meal uh, in the afternoon here, but missing some breakfast for sure. All right, so let's flip things over to the Bills' um, defensive line because I think to me that's also one of the big storylines going into this, this game. If you haven't heard, Greg Rousseau has been ruled out for this game. I was talking to a couple people before the start of the show, and I'm not as concerned about it being a multi-week thing. I mean, reading between the lines from Sean McDermott this week, he's talking about it being this just sore on the foot, something that they probably don't want to push him too far too soon. I think it if it was more of a long-term thing, we would have got that week-to-week designation. And it's the foot. It's not the ankle, which is something that hindered him over the course of last season. 
But this is a significant development because Greg Rousseau, out of all the edge rushers for the Bills, with Von Miller out for the first month, he is playing by far the most snaps, 50, 59% of the snaps this season. After him, Leonard Floyd is number two at 49%. Then you got Epinesa and Shaq Lawson all the way down at 40. So a couple of things are at play here this week. Von Miller could be returning. Who thinks Von Miller's coming back on Sunday? Who wants Von Miller to come back on Sunday? See, there's a mix. See that? There's a mixed reaction there because I think some people really want him to just chill. Put him on ice, see what Kingsley Jonathan and A.J. Appanessa can do. Leonard Floyd's had a really good start to the season. They brought back Shaq Lawson for a reason. He's probably ready. He was cleared before the start of the season. But I think they want him at 100% in December and January. I think I fall into that category. The one pushback I would have is they have a really advantageous part of their schedule right now, moving up through the first nine weeks of the season. You have to take advantage of win and win as many games as you can. And if Von Miller helps you do that, it's a tough decision. Yeah, and listen, Von Miller is very confident that he will play on Sunday. He told us today that uh, 96.5% was the 94.5% chances of playing on Sunday. He said at his media press conference today. So he seems like he's ready to go. And and I'm in the party of if you're ready to play and and you feel like you're ready to play, you're – uh, the medical staff says it. You don't just hold them out to hold them out. You let them get out there. You put them on a pitch count, though. Let him play 10, 15 snaps his first game. Slowly build him up until he's ready for that late stretch where, where you have some tough opponents like the Chiefs, like the Eagles, the Cowboys, et cetera. Uh, yeah, get him back in here, especially with Greg Russo out. If he's good to go on Sunday, I'd love to see him at that 10 to 15 snaps. You can give Leonard Floyd a, a little spike in his snap count this week. Uh, and then you can uh, probably boost up AJ Epinesa as well. I wanted to share some some numbers. Rich Eisen's calling the game uh, for NFL Network on Sunday, and he put out a couple tweets today that I think are going to give you guys all the warm and fuzzies right now after four games of the season. The Bills lead the NFL through four weeks in completion percentage, red zone passing touchdowns, scoring drive percentage, total takeaways, interceptions, sacks, quarterback hits, Defensive penalties, which is interesting. Also, the Buffalo Bills are just the sixth team and first since the regular season undefeated Patriots to score 135 or more points and allow fewer than 60 points to the first four games. The previous five teams that did that all went to the Super Bowl. Oh, I think we'd have a lot of Bills Mafia members here traveling to that game as well if it uh, if this comes to fruition, and listen, this has been an elite defense through four weeks. They were great against the Jets as well. Uh, obviously, they had some, uh, let down in the offensive side of the ball in that game. But this defense has been playing lights out, Matt. Uh, and it starts at the defensive line. They're winning their battles up front. Th- that's something we have not seen in the past years, minus when Von Miller was healthy last year. They've really struggled to generate that pressure from their front four. That's not been the case this year. Uh, You look at the linebacker position. Matt Milano just flies to the football. We were worried if he'd be the same player without Tremaine Edmonds, and I would argue he's been better. And then you have Terrell Bernard. Terrell Bernard, who missed the preseason, didn't look, uh, didn't impress necessarily on a consistent basis over the summer, had his moments. But after getting shaking the rust off in that Jets game, you could argue that he's been one of the top two or three defenders for this team. Who here lives in breathes and dies with all of our training camp podcasts. 
Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Every day? All right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. After this, this training camp, we're throwing out the entire thing. We're not overreacting to any of this stuff anymore because we were killing Terrell Bernard. You know, to be honest with you, all of them, you know, outside of Baylen Spector, who had that one practice where he looked electric and was like living up to his scouting report and flying around there like his hair was on fire. Um, and he does have some pretty good hair, actually, Baylen Spector. Um, but Tyrell Dotson was a disappointment in the, in the summer. Bernard as well. To your point, what I think has been so special about the Bernard-Milano combination is how much those two players complement each other. And now you're starting to see defenses, defensive coordinators, talk about Milano and Bernard, where the fear factor in the last couple of years have, has really come down to number 58. I think people have always respected Tremaine Edmonds, but it was more about his individual skill set to me than what he meant for the defense as a whole. I think Bernard is a better complementary piece, not only for Milano, but other guys in the secondary and the front. Yeah, and it goes back to what they were talking about this summer, specifically Brandon talking about matchup linebackers. Uh, as great as Edmonds was from the size, the speed, the natural gifts uh, that he possessed, he wasn't very consistent in terms of the splash plays. And the sideline, just like Matt Milano, he is very aggressive in terms of communicating with his teammates of what he sees and then hitting the gap in space. Uh, we saw an example of that in the Commanders game where he blew up a run play. And we see him just getting after quarterbacks, being in the right spot, uh, which leads to difficult passes that are later intercepted. Tua Tagovailoa's interception of Micah Hyde last week in part was due to Terrell Bernard and the way that he was playing in the middle of the field. So the smarts are there as well. Uh, it, it's been probably the best linebacker due in the league through four weeks. Probably the best game day combination is over at Tops Friendly Markets. And I know that all of you are out here over the pond, but like call somebody back at home. Tell them to get set up for game day because are you ready for Slider Sunday? Every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. Tops Friendly Markets, proud sponsor of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. All right, we got one more thing, and then I'm going to start calling people up. I want to get into this cornerback two situation. Really, it's not even the cornerback two situation anymore. It's quarterback cornerback as a whole. I think we're, we're, we're in this middle of this weird transition where Dane Jackson goes from being the outcast, along with Kyer Elam, to back in CB1 seat. Like, I think that they're going to put him back in his spot this week, depending on what happens with Christian Benford, where at times he's going to go against the best wide receiver for the Jags, which happens to be Calvin Ridley. Yeah, listen, the, the good thing about Dane Jackson is he does have experience. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. He makes the right reads. He doesn't let guys get by him. He's not flashy, but he's solid. He gets the job done. There is worry, though, in that cornerback room. You've lost Trey White for the season. So now you're with Dane Jackson. You're with Christian Benford, who got banged up last week, missed a little bit of time, was able to come back in, though, following the Trey White injury. But then you have that wild card in Kyrie Elam, the former first-round pick in 2022 that, that uh, Brandon Bean kind of said, this was our last player with a first-round grade. When he came in last year at times, interception against the Dolphins, interception against uh, the Chiefs, kind of flashed. He doesn't fit what they do schematically. He is not a zone cornerback, but he has a lot of the athletic traits that you want in a top corner. So I'm really interested to see how he gets sprinkled in on Sunday and going forward. 
Yeah, and I think Benford being limited with the shoulder, I really think the idea of going back to the rotation at cornerback two, just letting Kyer Elam get a couple opportunities. You know, the thing that maybe we didn't talk enough about earlier in the season is that having Tredavious White back in that spot, I think took away some of those opportunities. And listen, I'm going to be honest. I think John Butler is a big Christian Benford fan. I think Sean McDermott is a big Christian Benford fan. And if that happens, and if you you earn that job over the course of the summer, to take that then away from him after everybody in the room on defense, in the secondary room up front, sees a guy that kind of went out there and earned a job. If he isn't given that job, I think that could cause a little bit of unrest in the locker room. But I'm very interested to see how this plays out on Sunday with how they utilize the corners. Yeah, Again, Kyrie Elam, he has not played yet. He's been inactive every week, including last week. He should be active this week. You at least want to get him in the mix, Matt. I'm, if you really want to go with Dane Jackson and Benford as your one-two, that's fine. But rotate him in every third series, something like that. Let him get his feet wet. Let him get on the field. Show what he can do. He can be overly physical, which leads to flags being thrown. I think that's another ding against him in the eyes of Sean McDermott, why he hasn't played. McDermott hates giving other teams free yards and free downs. So if you're, you're getting those penalties, you're giving them a new set of downs, you're putting them in good shape, it's been a problem for him. If he can come in, though, and play within himself, not be too handsy, not be too grabby, then I think that he could really take off and help this team. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino here, one half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, here today to talk to you about Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes prize picks the number one fantasy sports app download the app today and use code shout s-h-o-u-t for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. again download the app today and use code shout s-h-o-u-t for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. pick more pick less it's that easy all right who's coming up first let's open this thing up little q a session Derek, you start us off all right, buddy. And here, get right in the middle because I'm going to do a little selfie here. So we'll put out a couple of things on social media in a minute. All right, everybody's got to get in. Everybody out there's got to get in this selfie here. All right, looks like you're having fun. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, Derek. So a little bit of background about Derek. The cool thing about our job is that, you know, Ryan and I, our, pers- our approach to how we cover the team is to do it alongside Bills fans, right? The traditional sports journalist mindset is, here's everything we're giving you. It's a one uh, We don't believe in that. We, we want to include a smarter in how we cover the team. And I got to shout out Eric because he has been a shout regular for all four years of this thing. He uh, serves our country. In- yeah, shout out to Derek. Every time we share a video, every time we put something on social media, 
Derek, I always see Derek Bad Pop every single time. It's like it's like clockwork. And his little one today gave us special shout bracelets that are absolutely awesome. I'm never gonna take mine off. Just super cool. Derek, man, what do you got for? Hey, how's everybody going? Super excited to be here. I should be told I come for the Bills news, but I stay for your transitions. <laughs> I tried to throw in there. I don't know if everybody got it. And oh probably God. some people are like, dude, why are we talking about tops right now? Oh, I got it. I'm getting a breakfast pizza tomorrow. <laughs> no, but uh, the next thing I want to talk about is just the difference, I think, between Sean McDermott calling defense as opposed to Leslie Frazier. This defense just seemed to have a whole different swag to they're flying all over the place. I think with Frazier, they were a lot more laid back, calm, cool, collected. But now it just seems like a whole different defense. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So I think Leslie Frazier ran a traditional bend but don't break defense. And Sean McDermott had a lot of respect for Leslie Frazier in terms of his his coaching style, his playing career. And he did kind of hand the reins over. There's obviously some stipulations. We're running a 4-3. We're doing this. But in terms of how aggressive they were going to be, I think that it was very different under Leslie Frazier. And I think it kind of hit a wall last year after that playoff loss to the Bengals where Sean McDermott kind of said, hey, something needs to change here. And we, we were told that he walked away, Frazier. He's going to come back in a year. He's not going to come back to Buffalo in a year. Maybe he comes back and coaches somewhere else. But now you're seeing what Sean McDermott has in mind for this defense in terms of winning up front and gap integrity and and this certain type of linebacker certain type of players that fit his scheme and his system and he's done a masterful job with them through four weeks so we were talking about this and it's stealing some of your thunder so maybe you should come up and we can start talking about it you know thanks Derek, man awesome stuff brother um yeah he left you hanging i'll hit it i'll hit it it's all right he didn't see it um why don't you tell everybody because one of the things that i think we were just talking about in this chat up front is that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott go back a long way right but back in Philadelphia they were running somebody else's defense together right so all these years later Sean McDermott has mentioned this several times the reason he brought Leslie as the defensive coordinator was to have somebody with head coaching experience a lot of years in the league that he can lean on in tough situations for a first-time head coach but I'm not so sure that they ever aligned perfectly from a philosophical perspective Eric Washington and Sean McDermott, they go back to Carolina. Washington was on McDermott's staff. And I think the synergy between them in terms of what they want to do schematically, how they want to operate their defense line and their blitz packages, we've seen the early returns. Yeah, so the thing for me is that McDermott, he's a control freak, right? He wants to control everything. And then we've watched, what, several years of this Frazier defense and just fall short in the biggest moments. And now we get a situation where he's running a different style of defense. And I, my question I have is, was Frazier holding this defense down? Or was it the changes in personnel? Or was McDermott just saying, hey, you can do what you want? I mean, I, I, it, it, to me, it seems like he's such a control freak. Why would he let Frazier do something that he wasn't completely aligned with? I think, first of all, it's the respect factor. And we talked about this out front, too. Like, when you have somebody that you probably admired, you know, for all these years he's been in the business – to sit there and time after time, like we remember that Baltimore Ravens game that goes back in 18. He took the play calling away from Leslie Frazier. And I think he also, he's very hyper aware of the narratives that are kind of going on outside one bill's drive. People were asking the question, like, is Leslie Frazier good enough to be the defensive coordinator? And does he have to make a change? So I think he didn't want to put him in that spot again, but there was always this back and forth. Now I always, 
I've been critical of Sean about 13 seconds. I think in the end, it was his responsibility to make sure that they're aligned right. I don't care who the defensive coordinator is. He's the head coach. And to make sure on special teams, everybody knows what they're supposed to do out there. So I think that that was an, another version of a wake-up call for him. And I think it just got to a point last year where you consistently see them play this bend but don't break style where that's that flies in the face of what he wanted to do in Carolina. Yeah. Well, I, one more question. Who do you think is defensive coordinator next year? Sean McDermott. Yeah. If Sean McDermott continues and this defense continues to perform like this, I think he keeps the reins on that job. But you go back. Well, one thing I want to add is they could – probably do something where Eric Washington, who's the assistant uh, head coach right now, they can promote him to defensive coordinator, but have Sean continue to call the defense as long as it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you went back to Philadelphia days and Jim Johnson was the defensive coordinator with Sean McDermott there. And Johnson was one of the most aggressive coaches in the league during that time. So you knew Sean McDermott had that in him. It's just we hadn't seen it the past few years. So now that he's kind of put all his – chips on the table and said this is going to be my defense i'm gonna we're gonna win or lose with this squad he's really kind of going back to that jim johnson playbook all right a couple things before you go okay i want you to introduce yourself first and i want you to tell people give them a little lesson history lesson on the london bills backers and how we came to be here tonight yeah no worries at all so i'm charlie nelson i'm from the bills from afar podcast we started about three years ago and about two years ago we decided we were going to try and see if we can set up a london bills backers pub we met as a community around the Texans playoff game, if everybody remembers that, I'm probably scared, you know, from that uh, second half. Um, and there was like 50 fans from across London, from across the world, really, that lived in London that met up and like, oh, you know what, maybe there's a numbers to actually suit something out. And um, we got an agreement with a guy who was running the bar at the time and said, yeah, hey, we can put it on the screen and you can have a community. And we had maybe 15, 20 people turning up uh, to start off with. But then the word started to get out and started to grow and started to grow. And now if you're uh, anyone that's been here, you'll see it's like 100, 120 people turn up on game day they're not showing the soccer they're not showing the rugby they're showing the bills and that's awesome to see right this is the home for west new yorkers who are here people passing through and brits like me have been a fan for uh, well 30 years that's awesome all right thanks guys thank yes. you so thank much. you thank you for having us right, too. It's been awesome. all right we got time for a couple more let's come up all right come on up from syracuse new york we we're talking a little bit about the cues uh, big orange guy right here what do you got for us? A uh, few things. You know, first of all, when I analyze this game, you got to give credit to Doug Peterson. He's a good coach. You know, he, he took the Eagles to the pinnacle. He actually beat us in Buffalo a few years ago. So you, you got to tip your hat to him. But the more I look at this game as I get older, it's one in a lot of ways, but number one in the trenches, like you guys had talked about. And I really like our offensive line this year. They've done a phenomenal job. But on the defensive line, Ed Oliver has been phenomenal. But as great as he has been, Dequan Jones has been unbelievable. I mean, he's just been unbelievable. And I love our I love our battle in the trenches for this game. The second thing is it always comes down to mistakes. Let's not make mistakes. If we win that turnover battle, we'll win this game. That's what hurt us in the Jets game. We lost the turnover battle. If this team, the one we put together, wins the turnover battle, we're going to win every game. There's no question about it. And then and the final thing is just that it factor. You know, we got – I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. 
Josh Allen is a great quarterback. It's you know, there's a difference. We got that Josh Allen digs big game game. We have all this it factor, and then the defensive side, we got Matt Milano, who's phenomenal. And we got all these, I mean, the it factor we control. So it comes down to really win the trenches, which I think we will. There's no question about it. Don't turn the ball over. And then our it factor. We're all going to go home from London very happy. Bill's Mafia. <laughs> Talk about your name. That's the analysis right there, my friend. My name is Dick Hamlin. I'm from Syracuse, New York. Go Q's, awesome. right? Go Q's, go Bills. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right, who's coming up next? I saw a couple more people up there. Where's Scott Webster? Get out of here, Scott. I wasn't going to let you get out of here. What's going on, guys? What's going on? All right, so we talked a lot on the defensive side, right? A lot on the defensive side. Who is your non-QB MVP right now on the offensive side? Is it Aaron Croner as far as just keeping the offensive line where Josh isn't seeing the right side completely collapse and then having us go into full-on you know, Superman mode? Uh, or is it Ken Dorsey? Or is it somebody actually up from a player standpoint? I'm curious who you guys think on that offensive side, non-Josh. Go ahead. So from a player perspective, to me, it's Stefan Diggs, just the way that he's played at a high level. But I love the coaching aspect of it. And Dorsey's been great. He's really been leaning on the run more than he ever did. But Cromer would be my choice among coaches for what he's done. And it's funny because this summer we feel that a lot of questions, is Aaron Cromer on the hot seat? And you you have to realize it was a their first year in this system last year. Uh, the only player that had experience in it is no longer here at, at guard, and he was a liability at that point in his career. But you look now, and he's brought along Osiris Torrance as a rookie. Spencer Brown has made great gains in year two of Cromer's system. Deion Dawkins, bounce back year. Uh, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morris, the list goes on. But the last thing I really like are some of these young players that were able to make the 53-man roster this year beat out some of the veterans that have been around the, the past few seasons. You have Ryan Vandemark this tackle waiting in the wings that might end up being a really good swing tackle, but he could come in and start. And then Alec Anderson, who has that versatility to play across the line. So I'm going to probably go Dorsey in this direction for a couple reasons. Number one, Sean McDermott being able to call the defense was of huge confidence for Ken Dorsey. Because on you look down on the sideline, he's going through the figures and he's sitting members of the defense. He trusts Ken Dorsey to call this whole thing. The other Ken Dorsey was a very inexperienced offensive coordinator. And he was in a staff, on a staff with two guys underneath him in Cromer and Joe Brady, who had been offensive coordinators in the NFL already. And I think that's always a weird dynamic. Like when you come in and you're the new boss and maybe you got promoted over a couple other people. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Cromer and Brady weren't on the staff before Dorsey was promoted. But there's probably a push and pull there. And I think one of the things that he had to do this offseason was get all of those people in the room aligned on the vision. And I think you can't say enough about what Aaron Cromer has done. And you mentioned Torrance. To me, Cromer's coaching job on Torrance is the single greatest. And it's early, so I don't want to be hyperbolic, but you know me. I, I, I tend to be that way. It could end up being the single most impressive coach on player early career coaching job because he came in as an anchor pass protector. Like he was only going to play one style of ball and hearing Cromer talk about Torrance 
and the way that he's leaned into his, his athleticism, unlocked some of it, that's huge. So I can't really put a lot of holes in your argument, but I think Dorsey, as the CEO of the offense in year two, all of a sudden, we're four weeks into this thing. I've not heard Brian Dable's name once in the last couple of weeks. I think part of that is because he just got absolutely smashed, and I think he's got Daniel Jones in timeout somewhere in New Jersey. <laughs> Thanks, boys. That's, a, that's great. Hey, go London, right? Let's go. Let's hear it. <laughs> bring the bring the five. Thanks, brother. All right, we got time for one more. One more. Yeah. yeah, come on up. Come on. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Houston? Yes, dude. Yeah, I did it right, did yeah. I? You got it. You got it very close. I will admit. Yeah. Oh no, what is it? Yes, dude. Yes, dude. Come yeah, on, yeah. Matt. What are you doing? <laughs> no. right, we got a shout out, yes, dude. Killing it over at uh, Buffalo Fanatics, and our guy Zach is here in the house. Again, another OG. Uh, we'll have to bring you up after, dude. You got to, you got to say something up here. Um, so, what do you got for us? Um, well, I was curious about your thoughts on uh, how Terrell Bernard's played and impacted by the aggressiveness of the defensive line. I mean, they've been consistent in chasing and attacking, but he's also been kept incredibly clean consistently in a way that Tremaine Edmonds was never afforded. And uh, whether or not you would have appreciated to see Tremaine Edmonds given the same level of play in front of him and how that might have affected his five seasons with us. That was another example of me to me of the ability of Brandon Bean to pivot when he realizes that he made a mistake. And that mistake was Starla Tulele, wasn't it? It was. I mean, how many years of that over and over again, asking him to create in front of your first round draft pick. And it's like Brandon Bean over the years has done a really good job of finding talented players, but then like pivoting when things don't go well, like Andre Roberts and Kelvin Benjamin in year one for Josh Allen, throw that out and bring it in the Smurfs with Cole Beasley, John Brown, even Emmanuel Sanders. And to your point, What's happening in the middle of the defense right now, to me, is one of the most under-talked-about storylines in the NFL. Because I think all those defensive stats that I pointed out earlier in this game, you can find a way back to Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver for why that's happening that way. And that, to me, is the perfect way to start a career for a young middle linebacker who didn't even play in the preseason. Yeah, that, and that's a great talking point because this D-line is winning up front. Uh, especially Daquan Jones, who's come in recently and said the big reason he signed with Buffalo is it allowed him to play in a system similar to what he did in college, and it played to his strengths, and we've seen that through two years. Uh, they really missed him in that Cincinnati playoff game. It wouldn't have been the difference in the in the way this team came out overall, but it would have been a lot closer of a game in my opinion. So with the front four playing the way that it is, yeah, I do think that Terrell Bernard's job is a little bit easier, but he has done a great job. Uh, taking over the green dot, communicating with his teammates, making sure they're also in the right spots, uh, not over-pursuing, seeing what he sees on the field too. And I'm sure Edmonds did a nice job of that as well, but there's been a few plays where you can actually see uh, after the game with Bernard pointing out to the teammate, hey, here's this play, you go here, I'm going to shoot this gap. And sure enough, they stop the play in the backfield. Right, appreciate it, guys. Cheers. Thank Cheers, you for having me. Man. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. All right, Zach, get up here, man. You're going to close down the show. Zach, Zach's another OG. I think if we were doing retweet numbers, right, over the years, our articles, our shows, Zach would probably yeah. rank, at least be in the top three power rankings of most retweets. The dude has been just a huge supporter of our stuff. And listen, we notice these things. Like, I noted, I see your name over and over again. And I, I got to say, man, face-to-face, -face, we really appreciate it. Yes. I really appreciate you guys and the way you cover this team. It's just, it's amazing to have people – cover the team the way you do and reach out to the fans and like 
support the fan base, doing the hey chant, all that stuff, leaning into it. And yeah, it's just <laughs> never thought you'd be able to say it be on your podcast. Nice, nice. <laughs> all right, so give us your hottest Bills take right now, right on the pod. Hottest take. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I would have to say that Josh Allen will beat Josh Allen. The good Josh Allen that everyone wants to beat him will beat the other Josh Allen. We'll probably see him truck over him at least once in the game. It's funny. Like I mentioned Ken Dorsey being like the, like an MVP candidate for the bills offense. One thing he's got to have handy on him is like the highlights of that jets game. Yeah. So like maybe like, on the plane, every time on a road game or in the hotel the night before, just throw in the highlights real quick. Little two-minute subliminal messaging. Like, that is the bad Josh Allen. Stay away from that. We want the good stuff. Great stuff, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Go, Bill. There you go. All right, Ryan, final thought. Yeah, final thought. London has been amazing. We cannot wait to go out and see some more sights over the next few days. But stick around with us. We will have you covered all weekend long for this Bill's matchup with Jacksonville. We will not only have you covered all weekend long, but all season long. Become a Shout Bills insider today, 716-528-6727. Derek, don't look at me with that angry look. He's been – do it. You won't regret it. Um, so, funny story. We launched this thing a couple of months ago, the Shout Insiders. Um, it's one-on-two access to Ryan and myself, and I mentioned Derek because – He's been blowing up my phone asking why he can't get in the mix down there in Germany because it's only open to the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And I feel like, dude, come on. Why are you mentioning this at the London Bills Backers Bar? I feel bad because you can't do it. But listen, our DMs are always open, and I got to do the read. The shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Beyer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, Give them a call, 716-852-1234. London, you are amazing. Bills fans, as always, you're amazing. Thank you so much for having us. For Ryan, I'm Matt. See you on Sunday.